Welcome to the Figuring Out Families podcast by Magellan Media, where we explore and build awareness of the issues faced by families today, and in doing so, set about figuring out families. This is episode three in series one. guest on Figuring Out Families is Julie Sharp from Genesis Pregnancy Support. Julie's been part of the organisation for more than 20 years, including as chairperson for four years. Julie's also been involved with a number of agencies that support young mothers. She's a mother of three adult children and grandmother of four, so is well placed for this type of work. Welcome, Julie. Thank you. Nice to be here. Perhaps first up, Julie, you could explain some of the services Genesis Pregnancy Support provides. Okay, so uh, there's quite a range now. When I first came on board, we basically provided uh, crisis pregnancy counselling. We call it crisis pregnancy counselling because we're dealing with unwanted pregnancies and women were making decisions as to what they would do about that pregnancy. So we provided a um, safe and confidential environment free as well environment for them to come and have a chat about those options and in particular to fully inform women about the risks associated with terminations of pregnancies because they weren't hearing um, that vital information anywhere else. Okay. Uh, The types of people, sorry, the types of people who seek support, they come from a range of backgrounds and demographics? Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, An unwanted pregnancy can occur on the lower socioeconomic scale and right up the top as well. And it's very interesting, the circumstances that make people um, consider not continuing their pregnancies because uh, as human beings, we get ourselves into some curly predicaments no matter where we come from. And uh, so, yeah, we need to work our way through those circumstances and provide support. That's our second um, most common no, it's actually our most common service is um, the, su- the supply of free material assistance for women to be able to continue their pregnancy. So free cots and prams and bassinets and that. We turn over hundreds of those annually. Right. And, and uh, age, I imagine there's still some really young girls who find themselves in this sort of predicament. Yes, yeah, it still is, and I think it's because of the um, casual sex culture that we that they're born into now. You know, it's just accepted and it's condoned even by the health sector to a large degree with um, distribution of contraception without parental knowledge even to young people. Naturally, uh, the law of averages is going to work against them if they start their sex life at 14 and 15 years of age and they don't settle with one partner until, well, these are days the average is 30 so 15 mm. years the odds are against you you're going to have some sort of crisis is, it, is there a real link between socioeconomic background and uh, young ages or is it is it across the board uh i think there is a link but it's amazing because um the link for the low socioeconomic is very much lack of education um if you jump to the upper end you know affluent kids from um, um good homes and that sort of thing Often it it can be that they're well-educated, but they're just teenagers who just think it's never going to happen to them, you know, so they they take risks that perhaps adults wouldn't normally take. Right. And yet education today, I imagine, would be more prevalent than it ever has been in terms of how you become pregnant and, and the things you need to do to prevent pregnancy. 
Yeah, a lot of people would think that, but if you take a good look at the content of our sexual health education in our public schools or the majority of our schools, a uh, quite vocal minority has gotten the majority of the funding and their message is predominantly sexual rights rather than sexual health. So the kids are not getting the risk factors connected with their sexual activity. They're more getting the uh, access to uh, contraception or uh, prevention and their rights to engage whenever they feel like it. Right. In terms of uh, what you've just said, how vital is the support your organisation provides? I think as far as um, pregnancy support goes, like to provide the practical uh, as well as emotional assistance to a woman with a crisis pregnancy, it's absolutely essential because, again, if you check into the distribution of government funding, it predominantly goes towards termination of pregnancy. There is no government funding that I know of towards support for women with an unplanned pregnancy that needs support. We certainly have never had any government funding and I only know one other body in our state, South Australia, that does similar work to us and they get no government funding either. So if a woman goes to a health professional with an unplanned pregnancy, and I've had women tell me this, they literally, if they want to go ahead with their pregnancy, the GP doesn't know where to refer them for support. Right. How are you funded? That does beg the question. How did you get, yeah. how do you get your money? Ah, well, I'll tell you what, it is faithful supporters of what we do. So we've got a really um, good financial basis. Uh, monthly supporters is, are our lifeblood here. Uh, random support doesn't allow you to build your organisation, but we changed our organisation to a semi-business model about eight years ago. So we have a retail outlet, we have a shop where we sell goods. Now that is essentially paying our rent. We also have sex education programs that we sell to schools to have qualified professional um, sex educators come in and teach good sexual health. So we make a bit of money from those two avenues. Right, and you managed to keep your head above water? Oh, yes, just. <laughs> just. <laughs> just. Like any charity, we're always very much in need of that uh, support being consistent and definitely growing so that you can continue expanding. Right. Are there other things you can do perhaps to raise money? Do you look at uh, different things from time to time? Oh, we have just uh, fundraised over the last year and uh, launched for the first time a TV ad. Uh, that cost us $14,000 to raise, but we got 350 ads over about a three-month period out of that. And uh, that was more for awareness that we're around, but we did throw in an appeal on the last um, screenshot saying, please donate. But to date, we haven't got a cent out of that. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, well, <laughs> yeah. perhaps sometime down the track, it might start to flow in, perhaps. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. In view of what you've said, uh, Julie, so far, is the need for these types of services for individuals and also families greater now than ever before? Oh, absolutely. Again, like I said, we, we are in a hyper-sexualised culture at the moment. So, you know, unplanned pregnancy comes from sexual activity. So you increase that, then you increase that risk. Um, unfortunately, there's a lot of technology around to deal with unplanned pregnancies. There's a morning after pill, there's the um, chemical 
um, abortion pill, which can be taken in the first nine weeks. And so many, many girls are resorting to that option to take care of the problem. Right. However, if they want to continue with their pregnancy, um, yeah, those numbers are definitely there too. There's like hundreds and thousands of those every year. As far as the sex education goes, that's our other very essential one. And maybe we'll get into that a little bit later, but we have um, programs called Be, Be Ready programs, about eight of them that we've written and launch in schools to about two and a half thousand students every year in about 20 schools at the moment. And that's without marketing the product. It's just grown with popularity. And that's very much a protective and preventative program to try and protect the kids from the culture, really. Right. Are there more unwanted pregnancies these days? Is the, is the evidence there or the... No, no, not really, not no. really. And um, in fact, if anything, the um, um, abortion rate, which reflects that yep. um, largely, is slowly going down over the last, oh, okay. um, I reckon, four or five years, there's less and less. But um, I attribute that to the morning after pill. You know, the oh. girls now, if they think there's a chance they may have been not fully protected or could be pregnant, they just pop this pill the next day just in case. Right, and there's no way of knowing how many girls, young women would do that these days, is it? No, no, only if you go to the chemist shop where they can access this pill, which, by the way, most women don't realise is uh, 30 to 40 times the artificial hormone concentration of the daily contraceptive pill in one dose. And so we got young pubescent girls using that kind of drug um, it, repeatedly. Right. Right. Uh, I hear that most unwanted pregnancies are a result of other people's influences. Can you, can you confirm that? Tell us more a bit about that. Uh, you might be a bit surprised with the cultural shift on that one. We actually, um, I've just got the latest statistics for teens on their sexual activity and the boys even register, uh, I think it was around 25 or 30% have had unwanted sex. So coercion right. goes both ways now. Oh, okay. And okay. Yeah, so um, girls are much more forward and, uh, you know, always in the past it would have been pressure from the male to female. And, of course, it is it is much higher percentage that way, but the guys are experiencing it now too. And what we're finding, like even overseas as well as locally, is sexual activity, the rate amongst teens is going down. They're, okay. they're preferring not to have sex. I don't know if that's the iPhone, you know, and the uh, computer dating um, influence, but they're losing the capacity to relate face-to-face -face very confidently. Well, that's not really surprising if you get on a bus, tram or train and you see the number of young people <laughs> who are glued to their iPhones and other Absolutely. technologies. It's a bit of a worry. It'll be interesting uh, in 20 or 30 years' time to see uh, what that generation is like. Yeah, yeah. Well, I reckon uh, China is a bit of a uh, trailblazer with that and the males, the guys, and this is a scary perspective that we're getting into now, are not dating at all. They are preferring pornography through their teens because it's far less intimidating. It's got all the benefits that they want out of it and they don't have to negotiate, you know, a relationship and all the parameters that go with that, you know, and the complexity. So they're finding that, uh, yeah, social uh, relationships are breaking down. Um, well, that brings me to my next question, Julie, the proliferation of online pornography. How serious an issue is it and what can it what can actually be done to curb its influence? Okay, so it's it's actually an absolute crisis at the moment, a crisis worldwide and, and yes, definitely in Australia. I think parents are largely ignorant of how serious this crisis is. 
but 70% uh, of kids have seen porn before they're even out of primary school in Australia. And the age of first time exposure is just 11 years of age. Young kids seeing quite horrific, definitely explicit and refused classification standard of sexuality before they've even had their first kiss or held hands or it's quite a psychological trauma to a child. Um, statistic I've got here is that between 2008 and 2011, all right, so we're going back a little bit, exposure to porn amongst boys under 13 jumped from 14% to 49%. So that's how rapidly it's moving. Now that's back in 2011. You can imagine what the exposure rate is now for boys. It's a click away on their phones. Well, it is, and we all know that. Anyone who's got an iPhone or anything, I mean, you can access it so yeah. easily. Uh, and as you said, for younger people too, they wouldn't really have any idea what's going on. And to uh, for those younger people to access that either inadvertently or intentionally, uh, we don't really perhaps know the long-term uh, ramifications, but I imagine they would be horrendous. Oh, well, we actually decided to take it into our hands to do our own survey in schools around Adelaide. Um, no one else has right. done this. Like we surveyed 500 students and um, it, the results were just staggering. You know, we asked questions like, uh, what age did you first see it? And we had out of those um, 316 who had actually seen it, three were age four at the time. And they remember it right. explicitly, you know, and uh, most of them uh, were exposed accidentally through pop-ups and definitely the internet. Now, all of those are internet exposure where they are being lured, literally, um, by the salespeople that have these websites. They're targeting the kids and, you know, it's kind of irresistible when it's that subject. But some of the comments we got back from the kids were from the girls. Um, disturbing and unnecessary. I'm completely turned off sex now. This is my deepest, mm. darkest secret. And she was exposed at eight years of old. But the guys say, regret it, wish I'd never looked at it. Evil when it screwed okay. me over. I'm still struggling with it as I don't want to watch it, but I give in. That's a, such right. a sad thing. Dreadfully yeah. sad. I mean, you know, it, that, that's shocking. The impact on families and what can parents do? It seems to be one of those things that governments uh, can't do a lot about. What, what can happen in the family? Well, home? actually, um, there is quite a bit that parents can do, you know, as far as trying to protect their kids. So, first of all, you'd, you'd be warning your children about, in particular, first of all, sexting, because that's a very common um social behaviour, courting behaviour now amongst young people, right down to very young. So sexting is sending explicit photographs on your phone to um, someone else. And of course, if you're underage, that's child pornography. So you need to be having conversations with your kids about how this behaviour is breaking the law. Um, you can talk also from the moral perspective, but definitely talk about from the self-respect perspective perspective as well too. Remind them to think of course. remind them to think before they act, let them know about the legal aspect. Definitely warn them about sexual predators, how anything that goes out on the internet is open slather to anybody and it can come back and bite you when you're trying to get a job. And monitor your children's phones 
uh, check their photo galleries and things like that. But this is my pet one that parents should be doing at this stage to protect your children is uh, get proactive about it. Start canvassing your local MPs and the government to have compulsory filters, uh, or default filters actually they're called, uh, where yep. they're automatically put on. You don't have to opt in as a parent to make sure they're on. They're all automatically put on to protect the kids. So they need to be doing that. Uh, as we've discussed, Julie, it's a lot of these things. It's really about education in the home, isn't it? And what parents can do. They just have to be vigilant. Yes, yes, they do. And I think also beyond those um, tips I gave for engaging with your children themselves, I think parents need to be very proactive with approaching government, local, you know, state, whatever, for filters to be default filters on computers to protect children, because essentially it's child abuse for the government not to protect them. Of course, of course. Moving on to something a little bit different now, um, you have a lot to do with helping young mothers from dysfunctional families. And of course, this podcast series is all about, all about families. Tell yeah. us a bit about that and what you do in that area. Okay, so uh, we have a couple of programs. Um, one is uh, called Embrace. I'll talk about that one. That's our latest one that we've just launched. Uh, we saw a real need in the foster care system, which is oh, totally dysfunctional at the moment, uh, causing a lot of grief to both children and um, relinquishing mothers. And what we saw was the system is so uh, overworked and overlogged that people are becoming clinical numbers and their cases not addressed on a personal one-on-one -on -one basis. And so the very... Um, support that's needed perhaps to get a mum established in her parenting skills, particularly if she's come from a dysfunctional background where she has not had any role modelling of good motherhood, might have been a house full of drugs or, or domestic violence, and then she's expected to have a clue, you know, about how to be a good parent. So we've put together a program called Embrace, which involves six weekends consecutively in a row where uh, young mums will come uh, nine o'clock on a Friday morning, stay all weekend and leave about four o'clock on a Sunday afternoon, go back home and have the opportunity to put into practice what we've taught them and what they've learnt over the weekend. And there's a lot of uh, inspiration and encouragement and uh, self-esteem lifting as well as basic parenting skills imparted. So uh, okay. we've launched that in June. Right. What, what are some of the issues these uh, mums are facing? Well, I honestly well, thought I would be prepared. I mean, I've been doing this kind of work for nearly 20 years now, and I thought, oh, oh, they'll have some horrific backgrounds that, you know, they need to be able to be understood and break free from. But my goodness, um, even the departments for child protection and all that have said that nearly every girl has been sexually abused at yeah. some point, you know, throughout. So they're dealing with that trauma in their history as well. They've also totally shattered families, you know, that are all over the place and uh, a lot haven't even seen their mother. She left when they were babies. Uh, fathers have sexually abused them or are alcoholics or um, drug addicts and, you know, even siblings are scattered and don't relate well. They have no relational skills and... It's so sad because they actually come to us wanting to be a good mum and they just don't know, they don't have the resources to draw on to um, develop that. So, yeah, it's very sad. Plus, you throw in poverty as well too and they're very much behind the eight ball and their world has shrunk down to a handful of also um, non-functioning friends, you know, that they hang with and they don't know how to get out of that. 
It's it's crazy when you think about it. It's something you and I and a lot of people I know would just take for granted uh, relationship skills with siblings, with parents, whatever. But obviously, yeah. there's a huge issue out there. Oh, it's it's. Uh, I took um, sexual health in the house a couple of modules, you know, with the girls in the pilot program, and I had all sorts of things and skills I wanted to impart to them. And I ended up spending a half a whole session. Uh, when we were talking about respect, you could tell they had no idea what respect looked like, you know, Goodness. so to describe how you should be treated, you know, and what you deserve to be treated like and that. And I just thought, oh, my goodness, I had to go back to almost like primary school education for these girls, you know. Um, yeah, it was very moving. Yeah. You do deal with single mums only or partners, fathers are included as well? What's the situation? Uh, some some of them do have partners who do want to stay involved, but that's very rare. Uh, most of our, our criteria, because this is all free assistance, is single and unsupported. So we deal right. mainly with them. Okay. And how, how can uh, they get help? How can the, these mums get help? Well, uh, there is a system. There is a government system. Um, I think... Uh, nearly every state in Australia would have a pregnancy support centre, which would be interested yep. in coming alongside and supporting them. So suss out where they are for starters. They'll be far more personal and get engaged with the mums than um, they will through the system, so to speak. Uh, but sure. there, there are midwives that come around and visit afterwards and there are welfare agencies that can provide a certain amount. But we actually provide the cots and prams and the free um, equipment to uh, nearly 40 government organisations and non-government organisations, they all come to us, which to me suggests they have nowhere to go. Yeah, it seems a bit of a, a mishmash. It sounds like a few uh, situation with a lot of things these days and uh, people like yeah. you just have to keep the whole thing running. But uh, yeah, it's, 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 it is difficult. And I know it's easy from behind a laptop to criticise government agencies and others, but uh, there are a lot of good people out there yeah. doing a lot of good work, basically. Yeah, well, you come across case, we've found out it's best to deal with the caseworkers rather than the department, because the caseworkers are just ordinary people like us that are coming alongside one or two people to try and help them, you know, through their difficult circumstance. So they've expressed overwhelming joy at this program. They've said this program is fantastic. It's been needed for so long. So we're very encouraged by their response. Okay. Moving on again, another thing you're involved in, Mummy Link Groups. Tell us a bit about that. Uh, that's another aspect um, of the supporting the uh, single uh, mums that are trying to do it tough on their own. Yep. As I said before, their social environment shrinks right down and they become isolated. And uh, once you become isolated with a screaming new baby, you very much start dealing with mental health issues mm. then because you're trying to cope on your own without a family member coming around and giving you any relief or any pointers. Or So Mummy Link was developed to provide a support group, like a mums, young mum's support group where they come along and our intention was not necessarily to teach them a whole pile of things or treat them like they're second rate citizens but to expand their peer group so they make friends so okay. the mums get to know each other on a regular basis and we call it success when we start seeing them going out for a coffee together Absolutely. and meeting up during the week yeah and uh, once we see that happening we have like a graduation ceremony and say you're doing all right now you know how to uh, integrate yourself a little bit in a wider sphere. Okay. And these mums, again, as you've described before, are isolated for a whole variety of reasons and they don't have great friendship yes. groups. So the whole idea is to try and introduce them to other women like-minded mm. or whatever. And as you said, it, it's mm. great when you see them doing or becoming involved in other activities as well. 
yeah, when they catch up outside of the group time, you know, and you can see they've actually learned how to get out, go to a shop, go to a play group somewhere else or, you know, uh, play cafes and things like that with their children and meet up with a friend. And that's just basic skills like you mm. said, you and I were taught as we grew up, yeah. but they didn't have that model for them. No, exactly. Um, we are lucky in that respect, absolutely. Uh, Mummy Link is a free mm. service, I believe. Is it national? Is yes. it, it is national? No, no, it's only in this state okay. at the moment. And at the moment, we're quite excited because all our programs, we also have a post-abortion healing retreat weekend, which is fantastic and just growing in demand as well. But as women kind of come out of the machine, the other end, after being rushed through and not coping with life. And uh, so that's that, that program has a fee to it just to cover costs for the weekend. Mummy Link a group is free. The um, Embrace Live-In program is free. Our equipment is free. Our counselling is free. And the gear in our shop is priced from 50 cents to $3. It, it, you know, so very right, cheap. Right, that's Reborn, is it? Is that the program? Yep. Yeah, that's yep, the shop. Yeah. yeah, that's Reborn. Okay. Yep. And that's uh, just in Adelaide at the moment or is that a national thing? As well? uh, that's also just in Adelaide. And, yes, that's what I was leading to before is all of these programs I've designed to be geared to be able to be expanded interstate. Uh, we're just looking at how that might look, you know, whether we franchise them out or whether we uh, train people interstate and send them over that way. But, yeah, we're looking at doing that expansion now. Okay. Um, I imagine, and I, tell me I'm wrong, but the need in this area for uh, people of uh, need more help these days, you just need to see the number of homeless in the major cities has grown uh, by huge amounts in the last 10, 20 years. Yeah. It would be the same in the, the area you're working with young mums and Yep. Absolutely. Homelessness is one of the big ones that, you know, we have a heart for, but unfortunately you can't be all things to all people. But often we have people that are on the street, you know, mums that are leaving hospital with a newborn baby to couch surf because yeah. they have nowhere to go. And, yeah, that's shocking. I can't even imagine trying to cope with that without a mum or a family and just a, a couch and a baby. It's uh, really difficult. Sure, and the, the issues there, I guess, are, again, the isolation brought on by people, young people not being able to get on with their parents, uh, sexual abuse, a whole variety of things. That's right. And I'm not um, saying that uh, some of these people are scot-free of responsibility because drugs is a big issue now. Yeah. You know, They've gotten into those crowds. They've gotten into those situations. But, for example, one of the girls in our Embrace Live-In program, uh, she has just gotten off of drugs for the longest time in her life, 12 months. She got rid of the guy that she was with uh, who was bad role model and uh, domestic violence involved and she was just totally focused on trying to get a new start and be a good mum. They're right. the ones we're looking for. They're right. the girls we're looking for who can't get out but really want to get out. And if anyone listening in any other state in Australia, what can they do um, to help? Is there anything they can do? Well, they will have, like I mentioned before, their local, their pregnancy support centres in their own area. It's, you know, it's a bit harder to... Financially, we can be supported from anywhere in Australia, but locally yep. what we need is manpower. If we're going to expand these programs, we need volunteers and yep. people like that to do it. But I would suggest anyone interstate to uh, look to volunteer at their local pregnancy centres if they have one. And um, if they want to send finances across the states to us, we won't say no. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. That's fair enough. Um, we've covered a lot of ground here, Julie, but summing up yeah. major issues that families and young mums are facing in society today, it sounds like there are a, a lot of issues. 
Yeah, well, I think it started probably back in the sexual revolution of the 60s with the beginning of easy divorces and uh, sexual liberation, but it's just caused the breakdown of the family. You know, the families have broken down and split up and there's multiple um, kids with half fathers and half mothers and you, you can do that on one level if it's only, um, you know, the first or second marriages or whatever but yeah. we're getting into relationships of six seven eight you know and kids everywhere and not knowing who their fathers are or where they are that just causes ongoing generational problems yeah and it's the children who suffer time and time that's again. right every time yeah as a society, is, is there something we can do? I mean, I know there are organisations like yours are doing a wonderful job, but uh, either other families or society generally, is there, are there things we can do that perhaps we haven't I, talked about? I, I think if you examine your culture and your society that you're in, I think we get a bit inured to things like, for example, I've said to people when it comes to, um, say, sexual promiscuity and uh, exposing children at young ages to sexually explicit things, I challenge people that are listening just take a look at your um, regular TV shows that you watch on TV and, and count how many sexual innuendos they are, how the women are dressed, what you've become used to looking at and then put yourself in a 10, 11-year-old girl or guy's shoes and watch that and learn from it. And that's what they learn from. So as a parent, put boundaries around your children outside of this culture, you know, and start standing up at school against things that are a bit too liberal in your mind that you don't agree with. Don't be ashamed and don't feel like you're being a pain. You establish your own standards for yourself and ask your schools, educational institutions, you know, um, can't we tone this down? This seems to speak up. We're just folding into it too easy. So individuals can make a difference and then collectively we can make a big difference. Yeah, get another parent together at school when you're feeling uncomfortable with something that's being taught or, you know, something that's becoming part of the culture that you'd like to see change. I guarantee you that parent's feeling the same. They just don't know what to do about it. So if you join together, your numbers will grow and in the end you'll have enough people to make a difference. Mm, fair enough. Uh, look, Julie, that's been fantastic. Uh, thank you very much for your time. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks a lot, Dave. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>